parents and all kinds of stuff, one of the big needs in the community is how, how do we how do we do parenting? How are we supposed to do this? And um, is even in that subject, a lot of what comes up is how do we talk, how do we talk to our kids about some of the scariest stuff in all of parenting, which is sex, which is dating, which is all of that stuff. And we live in a world that is so different than, you know, we grew up in. Our kids grew up in a world so different than our, our own world. And there's a lot of stuff we're facing. So we bring in an expert, which I'm not an expert. I am, I am like going to be feverishly taking notes as well as you um, because I have three little kids. I have um, a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And I'm like, when, you know, is my daughter, who's my eight-year-old, she, should I talk, have the talk with her before I have my son, the talk with my son at 10, but should I have it with her at nine? And so all of these conversations are going on, and I have tons of questions myself. So we brought in the, the grand champion of all parenting and family, um, really. And when you're not doing your work as a model, I mean, this is what you do pretty much. This is your, yeah, this is, but his name is Jim Burns, and so we're so excited to have him with us. So would you please welcome Jim Burns, and we'll get started. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know, I actually go to this church, so this is my pastor right here, and I said to Kathy on Sunday, I don't get to come every Sunday because there's some speaking outside, but I said, you know, I love Jeff. I just, I love his, I get his humor, I love how he teaches, and he just is great. So anyway, I'm thrilled to be with you, and, and uh, if any of you sit over there, I've never sat over there, so I don't even know that there's, well, I've spoken from here, so I did know that people sit there, but you know, we typically come in late. I'm writing a book right now on the first few years of marriage, and uh, I just found a quote by Mark Twain uh, today that said when you, that typically we're attracted to the opposites. We aren't talking on marriage, by the way. We're talking on, Doug did that on Friday. Um, we're talking on sex. But um, says we, we, um, we typically marry our opposites. And for Kathy and I, we've been married 40 years, 127 days. So we have, you know, been married for a good long time. But we did marry each other as opposites. And Mark Twain said that you typically marry a person who one of them is 10 minutes late and the other is 10 minutes early. So um, that's our ha- house, except Kathy's 20 minutes late. So I rarely saw Ethan um, start. Now, I, I know I'd see, I'd get the last couple of songs, but um, so we sit way, way in the back, you know, trying to, you know, bug in and, and find people. This subject um, that we're going to talk about tonight and, tomo- and next time is, you know, teaching your children healthy sexuality. Whether you have really little kids, I'm going to freak some of you out at the age that I say you start talking to kids. I'll freak you out. And then also, um, but it's never, it's all, it's, so it's never too early in some ways, but it's also never too late either, okay? And so if you have older kids, this is going to work as well. I'm going to put it into two different ways. The next week, I'm going to talk about uh, the following week, not this week. The next week, I'll talk, continue talking about sex. Then I'm going to talk about drug-proof your kids. Um, oh, man. You know, so many of us who are in the church think that we're not going to have kids who are going to struggle with drug and alcohol use and abuse, and that's not the case, actually. And it's funny, in 1988, so this dates me, I actually had hair in 1988, I think, I remember it that way anyway, um, I wrote a book called Drug Proof Your Kids. And what was fascinating about it was we had done some studies on church people, and pastors said that, uh, that, do you have a problem, we asked pastors all over America, you did this with Focus on the Family, um, do you know, do you have a problem in your church with drugs? And they said no. Um, only 13% said no, but they thought it was outside of the church, and yet in reality, there's only about a 5 to 10% difference with your kids when your kids get to a certain age, okay? Um, so we'll talk about that and creating a media-safe home, okay? So really, really key on that. Again, no matter what age your kids are, we have got to figure this out. Um, to next week when we talk about pornography, um, you know, we'll say it pretty clear that, you know, the average kid... 
uh, who sees pornography is, is 12. That's the first age of a kid. Greatest distributor of internet pornography would be um, the cell phone, happened in 2011. And um, you know, so we've got to look at how do we create this media safe home. It's not, it's kind of a death of innocence, if you would. But today, we're talking about sex. I was telling somebody uh, that I was speaking in Wisconsin this week, Tuesday through Thursday, and so I was doing general sessions at the uh, Midwest Salvation Army uh, Leader Family Conference. And uh, it's a mouthful. And I, was, I ended up doing a workshop on this subject, and a woman was right in front of me, and they were talking, and they were going into the different work workshops, and I really didn't know where mine was. So I was walking kind of behind them, and she says, where are you going? And she said, um, I'm having sex with Jim Burns. Um, so I, I just went, pardon me? And she was totally embarrassed that um, she said it that way because she didn't think it was funny. She didn't realize what she had just said, but I went, please, do not start that rumor because... Um, the other thing that happens, I will get started here, but the other thing that happens is I do get introduced as a sex expert because I have written books. I've been married to Kathy for a long time and she always wants to say, she wants to stand up and just jump and go, no, he is not a sex expert, but that always is embarrassing in, you know, in life. Now let me, let me start by uh, true confessions. Not, I'm not gonna talk about your sex life, but I'm gonna talk about your parents. How many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education when you were growing up from your parents? Put your hands up. One, two, three, four. I don't know why it's always four. I could have 400 in a room and it's gonna be four. But that means all the rest of you didn't receive good, healthy, positive sex education. Now let me say this about you and why I'm gonna meddle in your life in the next hour. All studies, these could be liberal studies and, and conservative studies. I can show you Christian studies and I can show you Planned Parenthood studies say this, that the more positive sex education kids receive from home, the less promiscuous they'll be. Isn't that interesting? So the four of you who had your parents help you through that, that I don't know your story. And, and yet, all of us feel somewhat uncomfortable with this subject, okay? I mean, you know, I write books on this subject, and when my kids got to certain ages, it became awkward. So it wasn't awkward for me to speak to students. That was what my life was. I spoke to about a quarter of a million students a year in a previous kind of, you know, work, whatever. And I could talk to them about sex all day. When it came to my own kids, it was tough. My daughter Heidi, who was at church on Sunday, she actually goes to USC. She's just getting her master's up there. Um, but she was, at, she was at church here on Sunday. She lives up that way. And um, when she was 10, I was in South Africa speaking. And I make a deal that I call my family wherever I'm at every day. And, and uh, so I'm talking to Heidi and we're talking about jokes and you know, just kind of you know, messing around. And all of a sudden she goes, Daddy, what is oral sex? And you know, I tell people you need to tell your kids when they ask a question, you gotta answer it. So, so I did what any good dad would do. I'd say, you know what, Heidi, I can't hear you. I'm in Africa, and I think your mom can answer whatever you just said, because I really couldn't hear what you said. And, you know, and, there, and Kathy later texted me and said she hated me. But that's another story. <laughs> but you know, those kind of things are gonna happen, okay? And in today's world, we were, it said in your little deal, we were six and eight and 11 and 14, but we were never their age because, again, they experienced so much so young, okay? So what I want to do is I want to start with what I call the purity code. Now, this isn't for, some of you have, you know, totally younger kids, and we're going to find out what ages they are in a bit, but, but this is kind of our goal, and the purity code is in your notes, and it's the front page, and it simply says this, in honor of God, my family, and my future spouse, I commit to sexual purity. And actually, at Homeward, where I work, and Doug Field sometimes hangs out there too, um, our goal is to find a million kids who will make that decision. But I'll tell you this, if kids make the decision because a guy like me was speaking to them, which has been the case many, many times in my life, um, it doesn't last as well as if parents do it. 
okay? And somebody like me can kind of be in front. I, you know, I kind of have that thing down. We can get kids to make commitments. I've had people in arenas, you know, come and sign it. It's cool. It's emotional. It's wonderful. And yet the truth is, is that when mom and dad awkwardly go through some of this, and we're not talking about the talk. We're talking about creating dialogue and creating trust with your kids. And so, again, um, it's just so important for us to understand that. So what are we asking for? In honor of God, no apologies for being Christian here, but frankly, many kids um, are not going to make it by white-knuckling it today, okay? It's, it's too present out there in their life. You know, Hillary, who I think is an incredible youth worker, is working with junior hires. I was the high school pastor. I was actually the youth pastor, the first youth pastor at, on the Irvine campus when uh, we started that campus, before we started that campus. And... Um, what I was dealing with high school kids, she's dealing with junior hires today. And so in honor of God, I mean, I'm really serious about that. And you're going to, next week, I'm going to talk about actually creating a really healthy, positive view of how God looks at sex. I won't get to it today, but why we want to do that with our kids, even at an at a early age, okay? In honor of God, my family. And so what I'm saying here is that for most of you, your family didn't really talk to you much about it. Maybe your parents said, don't do it because it's dirty, rotten, horrible, and save that thing until you're married, and then it's going to be great. And they're all like, oh, you know, you're still freaked out. Some of you are married, and you're still having trouble with your sexuality because of what was either pounded into you or, or not talked about. And so your family. So you're going to bring in your family values. And then lastly, your future spouse. Now, I guarantee you that when kids get older, they aren't even thinking about that because, you know, they're in love. And puppy love is real to puppies, and so... You know, they're going farther than they want to, but they honestly think that they're in ninth or 10th grade and they actually may be in love with this person, probably getting married, and that's just not the case typically. And then it says, I commit to sexual purity. It doesn't say sexual abstinence. Um, there was a season in my life where I spoke for something called True Love Waits. And I remember just from our deal, we had 25,000 kids make a commitment similar to this, but what we called for was sexual abstinence. And then Columbia University did a big study on this, and what happened was they found that what they called the pledgers, so we're now talking about junior high and high school kids, but the pledgers lasted about 18 months. But interesting enough, the pledgers has, were as busy with oral sex and anal sex um, as the non-pledgers, okay? So the fascinating side to it was kids are not legalistic about a lot of stuff, but they get pretty legalistic pretty quickly when it comes to sexuality. Maybe you were too, okay? So in honor of God, my family, my future spouse, I commit to sexual purity. We do it four ways. These are all scripture. So I'm kind of starting with scripture at the beginning. And it's right in your notes. One is honor God with your body, okay? Now you have scripture along with it. You can read that scripture. I'm just going to simply say honor God with your body. We've got to teach our kids starting at about age three, we'll get into why in a minute, but we've got to teach our kids how to honor their body. And part of it is they're living in a world today that where our bodies aren't, we're not always honoring God with our body. If you look, for example, at, at the latest movie that came out this last weekend in terms of the Fifty Shades thing, you know, there's, there's some amazing parts, I haven't read the story or, you know, looked at the, the stuff, but there would be some amazing parts where it would be turning women into sex objects. And so what happens is, is girls at a very young age have real, even Christian kids, have real trouble trying to honor God with their body. Same with guys, because they've got these, you know, raging hormones, if you would. So you honor God with your body. That's, and we'll come back to that even next week. You also renew your mind for good, okay? So we've got to teach our kids that sexuality is, well, I say to kids, and I say to parents as well, that the greatest sex organ is not your private parts. It's actually your mind. Okay. And so at a young age, as parents, we want to be able to teach our kids how to continue to renew their mind. 
okay? Thirdly is turn your eyes from worthless things. There's a neat scripture in your notes, but actually turn your eyes from worthless things. I took right out of the scripture. It's in the Living Bible. It's in Psalm 119. And so we're going to have to teach our kids to learn how to have incredible discipline to turn their eyes from worthless things. So that deals with pornography. It also deals, and we'll talk about this next week, but it deals with how do we teach our girls to dress. I mean, how do you dress modestly in Southern California? I mean, I would love for my girls to have, I have three daughters, so we have no hormones or drama in our life. So I, I would love for my girls to have, um, you know, a turtleneck on all the way to their ankles. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen when they go to the beach. It's not going to happen, you know, when they were junior high and high school, they didn't dress to be sexually provocative. They weren't even thinking about that. They dressed to be cute. And their cuteness was with other girls, not even for the guys, I'm convinced. But at the same time, I believe that it was my job as a dad, interestingly enough, with the opposite sex here, to be able to say, hey, here, guys look at skin, okay? And, uncle, and they'd go, ooh, dad, that's gross. And I'd go, well, even uncles look at skin. And they'd go, that is so gross. But I needed to teach them. Now, again, we had to be careful in terms of not turning them into something that is, was almost prudish. I would have loved that, frankly. But how do we do that? What about guys? How do we teach guys at a young age to begin to you know, learn to have discipline with their eyes? Not just talking about pornography, but just how they go. Uh, Kathy and I were at Mission Viejo Mall about two weeks ago. And we were out in front for some, well, it sounds funny, but we were out in front of Victoria's Secret. We were actually walking by it. And there was this like 10-year-old boy. They had these huge models and, you know, Victoria's Secret looking stuff. Of course, I, I bounced my eye, um, eyes after I watched this kid. And he was just like, he had no filter whatsoever. And he's 10. And he's just staring at these. You know, I don't know where his mom was. But he's like, and I said, he's starting kind of young, isn't he? And Kathy goes, oh, my gosh, you know, whatever. But how do we teach boys to have that, see? And it's not just about, the pressure on girls. But what's happened is we have done early sexualization. Most of our kids will have experienced what we call early sexualization. And so that means that those kids are beginning to look at the opposite sex more as a sex object because we haven't taught them how to, you know, what to do with their eyes. And then lastly is guard your heart. The scripture there is in Proverbs uh, 4, and it says, listen to this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. That's what the scripture says. Now, of the four people who raised their hand who said they had received good, positive, healthy sex education, I rather doubt if, if even your parents taught you how to guard your heart. It's complicated, it's not easy, and it's not just about sex. You know, I, I need to learn to guard my heart from, uh, against, uh, you know, greed, or I need to guard my heart against, you know, too many sprinkles, you know, cupcakes, or whatever it might be. But how do we guard our heart and make this a positive thing? Because the, the, I think one of the worst things that's happened is that we as Christians are now known for being the people who say, don't do it, see? Instead of saying, no, God created sex. He sees it as beautiful. It's an incredible thing. And that's why you want to save it, see? And so, again, the, what we call the purity code is kind of, for me, the, the, the goal. And if you've got a three- or four-year-old, you're not going to teach them necessarily the purity code, but you're getting them prepared for the purity code. And the way you do that is you begin to have dialogue with them. Now, I'm going to spend very little time um, talking about uh, culture. I'll spend a little more time talking about culture in about about three weeks if if we hang in here. But I do want to help you understand a few things about the generation of kids that you have, whatever their age is, okay? Because they're being raised in a culture that's, that's very unique. And when we think about this, we have to look at 
what I'm calling a sexuality crisis. I think it's a sexuality crisis. I mean, I think that actually the Fifty Shades of Grey thing makes it even more of a crisis because more people saw Fifty Shades of Grey over a weekend like this than any other time over this particular holiday weekend. It beat out um, The Passion of the Christ. That's when it was released. And I don't think a lot of people released during that time, but you know, they, they made 100 million bucks. And you know, I, I think that's part of the crisis. But here's what we have to look at. So we tend to, as parents, we tend to always blame the secular world. I think the secular world cares deeply about the sexuality crisis. I really do. And the mistake we've made is that we always put them as the bad guys, that every school, you know, they're talking about all this horrible stuff. That's not been my experience. Are there horrible stories? Sure. But the sexuality crisis in the secular side is different, okay? They see unwed pregnancies as a crisis. They see sexually transmitted diseases as a crisis. They obviously see AIDS as a crisis. They see, you know, boys getting girls pregnant and then the boys, you know, leaving. And so the, the fatherless generation, they see all that as crisis, okay? And I could go on with all that. But here's the difference. They don't see the, the sex, sexual intercourse as the crisis. They see the result of having sex as the crisis, see? And that's different than the Christian world. The Christian world has to talk about what's right and wrong. Okay, and, and, and concern for the whole person, concern for the, you know, the, the, the child in a different way, see. So the crisis is, this is important to understand, is viewed differently whether the secular world is talking about it or the Christian world is talking about it. And unfortunately, in the Christian world, we sound mean sometimes, and we always want to put some of the people down, but again, that's probably, we probably have some strength here. We should be, we should be thinking about it with more the issue of right or wrong or, or some of the other things. And I'm actually going to even, um, next week, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but when kids have sex, um, you know, we always talk about the physical thing. So you're going to, you know, we'll say, you know, if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to get AIDS. Well, you know, most people who have sex don't get pregnant, don't get AIDS. I shouldn't say that because I think, I didn't want to say that because you never should tell a woman that she's pregnant in case she just goes, no, it's actually, I just had a burrito today. But, um, but, um, Again, with girls who have sex, okay, and they're not married, 25% of them, there's an emotional um, response. 25% are, 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 uh, are depressed before they have sex, and another 25% are, are depressed after they have sex, within three months, period. So within a six-month period, you've got over a quarter of the population of kids who've had sex, they're experiencing depression. So it's not just that there's all this great euphoria. There is some euphoria, obviously, but you know, there's some you know, problems there as well. The other thing that I want to speak to in terms of the crisis and then move on, so like I said, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, on that. Um, but one of the things that we're seeing today, and hopefully not as much with Hillary in, in the junior high, but I know they'll see it in the high school and definitely in college, is what we call instant intimacy. So what we're seeing is kids are having sex. The latest statistic, and I mean when I say the latest statistic, I just saw it. I worked on it on Friday because of some a project that we're doing with a group called Orange. And, you know, a majority of kids will have sex by the time they're 19, okay, whether they're Christian or not, okay? And I know that doesn't make you feel all that, you know, you know, confident, but I hope by the end of this you actually will be confident that your kids won't be part of that if you do certain things. But with that in mind, what happens is, is, we, I call it instant intimacy. Guy and a girl have sex. And, you know, then they break up. Well, you know, when I broke up with Carol in high school, I probably wanted to have sex with her, but I didn't. Um, you know, it was depressing for me for like, you know, a day. And for her, probably a half an hour. No, actually for her, a little bit longer. And, um, but it, because, but we, we hadn't been intimate. 
So today, when you see couples who are single, they could be in high school, they could be in college or whatever, and they're having you know, sex, they become instantly intimate. So now you see them, in my days as a youth worker, I would go, what is going on? Why are they depressed and why are they so down? Well, part of it was because they had become instantly intimate. And so what the sexuality crisis is happening is in 1974, you had, of the kids, 74% said they would not live with someone before instead of marriage. Today, it's 74% say that they would. See. So the world has changed, and that, was, you know, that's, that has been you know, over the last, say, you know, 30 plus years, but that's an incredible sociological shift that's taken place. So your kids who are being raised will have a majority of their friends live with someone before or instead of marriage and definitely have sex. Okay, so again, the, the, the stakes are higher, but when my parents never talked to me about sex, um, you know, and they sort of did okay, I mean, it kind of got past it. Your kids, you're going to have to lean into this, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Now, let's look through some of these things. Going on to the next page, you know, why do kids make sexual decisions? It's really important, no matter what the age of your child is, that we understand this. Basically, there's three reasons, and there's a lot more, but we'll, we'll take three. One is peer pressure or the pressure to conform, okay? I mean, nobody wants to be the only virgin. As they get older and older, then sometimes they're almost pressured into doing this, okay? And so there's the pressure to conform. I mean, and there are kids who would say that that was one of the reasons they veered that way. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, and think about your own children on this, no matter what their age, is that their emotional involvement exceeds their maturity level. Okay, so let me pick on a, on a 14-year-old girl. She has a low self-esteem, and she is in love. What did I say about puppy love? It's real to puppy, so it's real to her, okay? And she's hanging out with a guy who maybe is a little bit older. They both go to the church. The guy's not evil, but his hormones are raging because his sex drive by 18 is like at the height of you know, it. So you know, at 16, he's like, you know, a good kid, but you know, his body's going a little crazy and his mind's going a little crazy and maybe he's already you know, been involved in a little bit of pornography, so he's starting to think about things like that. And so the emotional involvement, she doesn't know how to say no. She's only 14 years old. And so she didn't plan on having sex, but because really no one had helped her think through some of those issues, she ends up going farther than she feels. Now she feels bad about herself. And sometimes she even then denies some of the values that the family have, or she even denies faith issues because she, it just sort of happened, okay? And again, we see that happening. These kids who their emotional involvement exceeds their maturity level, we see that happening because no one's talked to them about it, okay? Anybody know where the number one place that people get, uh, kids get sex education today? You know where, where it is? Friends? No. Internet. The internet. Well, I wrote a book called Teaching Your Children Healthy Sexuality, and when it first came out, Mary, who does some of our mar did some of our marketing, she's not with us anymore, she typed it in, in on Google, and it was number seven. Then, it's probably higher now because the book's been out for longer, but it was number seven. One through six was really almost what you'd even call soft porn. I mean, there was a condom coloring contest or all these kind of things. So, you know, if your kids type in, you know, words, it's not going to be like they're going to get the Bible. Okay, they're going to get stuff, and so they're going to—they're going to—their sex education is going to come from the internet or from their friends, and it's going to come quite early. It's also going to come from media. So if it's going to come from media, who are the media, you know, people? Well, frankly, some of those media people are people you don't want teaching your kids about sex. The rock stars, um, some of the, you know, um, athletes, and yet because we've chosen to be silent, 
that's where we're learning it from. If we took the time and I just said, where did you hear about sex? Where did you hear about sex? You know, all, you know, four of you would say your parents. Well, the others would say friends and peers, a book. Um, some of you who are younger might say the internet. Um, but, you know, like when I was, I was in fifth grade, I was playing football and um, this friend of mine said, hey, do you know how like babies are made? And I went, I lied and said, yeah, and I had no idea. And um, I knew it had to do something with your private parts, but I didn't really know exactly. And so he told me 80% of it was right, dead on. 20% of it was gross, weird, crude, stupid. But I'm fifth grade and he's my authority, so I just kind of figured he was right. I go to eighth grade, you know, health class, which taught, had a series on sex education, and when the teacher told us the right thing, the biological, the sexual systems, and all that kind of stuff, I thought she was wrong. So, you know, I believed, because I'd been believing it for three years, I believed the kid in fifth grade who didn't have a clue, see. So again, we want to be able to introduce this stuff to our kids. Before we walk out of here, we'll, we'll talk about what we'll do at each, at each age tonight. We'll talk about that. But anyway, then emotional involvement that exceeds their maturity level. And then uh, lastly is lack of information. I mean, if you haven't had anything pounded into you tonight, it's, I hope this, you know, that if kids get information, um, they're going to, good information from you, it's gonna, it's gonna be much more lasting than from anybody else any way, any, any, anyhow, okay? I wanna show you a video. Homeward has a program called um, uh, Teach, uh, Teaching your children, well, this particular one is on sexuality, and there's a group of people, and it's a family. It's called the Jones family. Now, this is totally over the top, and it's, it's kind of meant to be old-fashioned in terms of the style. It has a laugh track and all this kind of good stuff. But actually, it's ridiculous. But, you know, if only four of you received anything from your parents, let's see what these two kids, how, what their parents do to talk to them about it. up with the Joneses. There's Nelson, the wise and wacky head of the household, and Carol, the nurturing, emotional center of the family. Mix those rascally teens, Bud and Susie, into the mix, and you've got a home filled with humor. So have a seat and hold on to your funny bone while keeping up with the Joneses. Told me I'm going to be starting next week. Wow, wow fantastic. fantastic. I knew your hard work would pay off. You were right, Dad. Weird thing happened though after practice. Are some of the boys jealous? No, um, they were talking about sex. Do you guys know what that is? <laughs> yeah. What is that? But. <laughs> Sex, son, is very natural. Uh, scary. <laughs> scary. And, and frightening sometimes. It's uh, a lot like. Ah! It's a lot like a space travel, see? <laughs> you're out in space. You're going to fly around. You're a little astronaut in there looking around for a, a space station to dock with. The mailman will come to you and say, You sure are pretty. Let me give you this package. What's in it? Bad, 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 terrible things. You can't. 
can't take it. Why not? Because you have to get married first. And so you're out there. You're, you're going to be flying around out in space looking for just the right space station to dock with. What if I run out of fuel? Oh, don't ever worry about that, see, because guys, they never run out of fuel. And that's why a lot of the guys, uh, when they're journeying through space, they just stop at every space station that comes along. Like Pluto, Mars, Venus, everywhere. And But you are better than that. Uh, you're only going to dock once in your life, so you have to be very careful. How will I know that it's the right space station? You'll know. Deep down, inside, you'll, you'll know. And, uh... <laughs> space station. When you do know that you have the right space station, then you can... you marry the mailman, you can open his package. That's what the honeymoon's for. What's in it? A precious little baby. But I thought you said it was something horrible. Well, it is if you open the package before your honeymoon. Do we have a space battle after we dock? Yes. Uh, uh, no, uh, sometimes. Just but mostly, what happens um, is that new people come out. What do you mean? Okay, uh, take for example, you're American, right? You, right, spaceman, yeah. little shift there. All right, and uh, let's just say that the space station that you selected to be the right one is Russian. <laughs> You're a sucker for accents. Okay? So, anyway, uh, you, the American, dock with the Russian space station, and out from that come the new people who are. Uh, Russicans. Does, Does that, that make sense? sense? I, uh, think I think so. so. I'm so glad we could talk. Come straight to me if you have any more questions. Oh, I will. Did Dad tell you what sex is? No. I think he wants me to be an astronaut. How about Mom? Nothing. She's still mad at me for opening those Christmas presents I found early. You want to look it up on the internet? Cool. So the line is with the lights coming on, do you want to look it up on the internet? Now, that's goofy, but you know what's amazing is we do this in small groups. If, if we were in small groups, we would have goofier stuff from just some of you guys, okay? Because parents don't know what to do. We freeze up. But again, the point being that if you don't talk to your kids about it, somebody else will be glad to. Those kids will figure it out, okay? So again, the mistake is, is that we as parents, as a generation, and, your, and the previous generation, definitely, the previous generation just didn't do a good job of it. And yet a lot of us in our generation, now again, I'm more your probably parents' generation, um, you know, just kind of 
are doing the same thing. So we're repeating, so to speak, the sins of the fathers and the mothers, and somebody else is talking to our kids about a subject that is really, really important uh, to their life, to their future, to, you know, to so many different you know, ways of, of looking at it. So we've got to help kids understand today that sex influences their life, period, and, and you've got to understand this too. Let me, let me kind of go through three different ways that sex influences. First of all, let me just say sex is everywhere in the culture. So how hard is it for um, kids today to, uh, to not be influenced by sex? It's everywhere in our culture. Sex sells, so it's within our advertising. Sex is sung about because it's in our music. Um, if I had teenagers in the room, I could put them in a room, I could put them together in groups of 10, and I could say, in the next two minutes, come up with 20 songs, rock, it could be country, it could be rap, it doesn't matter what kind of a song that has sex, sexual innuendos, and guess what? They're going to be able to do that, okay? And they can do it in two minutes. Um, the average high school kid today can see 14,000 acts of sexual intercourse or innuendo to um, intercourse on primetime TV. It's, I mean, it, sex is everywhere, okay? Give me a commercial that kind of really is selling a product, but they're using sex appeal. Carl's Jr., oh my gosh, of course. My wife right now is boycotting Carl's Jr. because of these, it's unbelievable. So it's amazing that we would all be able to come up with that so quickly, okay? What else? Acts. Yeah, acts, absolutely, okay? And, and so you, you know, you're in the shower, you do the shaving, you know, whatever the different things are. And so again, it's pretty simple to find out that stuff. What about songs? Throw out some songs. It could be songs that, that you know, I mean, I listened to the Beatles. They did it on the road. So I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been going on for a long time. But give me some songs that have some blatant sexual innuendos. Talk Dirty. They have all the info right over here. I mean, you guys, you know. This is the confession session, of course. No, you know what? You guys, you, you got to be students of the culture. You got to know, because your kids could do this in like moments if they get to a certain age. Bang, bang. Animals. Lady Gaga, period. Yeah. So again, the point is, is that, like for example, Miley Cyrus, you know, Hannah Montana, you know, there was a season where Hannah Montana was incredible. Everybody loved Hannah Montana. We all loved Hannah Montana. We all knew that she went to church, so that was a cool thing. She said she went to church. You know, most of the um, girls at a certain age, under 11, had pictures of Hannah Montana in their bedroom. And I'm not just saying here in the United States, but all over the world. I was in Guatemala speaking, and I was walking by at this convention center, and um, I see this kind of Hannah Montana event. There like, are several thousand girls, and it's a a Guatemalan young woman who has uh, a blonde wig and lip-singing, you know, Hannah Montana songs, and the girls are going crazy. I mean, you know, so here's Hannah Montana. In one day, Hannah Montana changed. Now, we saw it coming a little bit, but most people aren't culture watchers. So in one day, a video comes out. She's in booty shorts. She partly is on the bed kind of, you know, looking very sexual, and, and her body is, you know, doing very sexual things. By the way, she was 17 when this happened. Then she's in a, in a place that she would not have been allowed to be in at her age, and, you know, it's, it's a very sexual thing. And Hannah, the branding people said, Hannah Montana is now Miley Cyrus. So what moms didn't realize and didn't know is they still liked Hannah Montana and there were still reruns like crazy, but Miley Cyrus, this hero of, of just last 
week is now Miley Cyrus who's telling you know, girls some pretty crazy stuff, some guys as well. Justin Bieber, I mean, again, we were excited about Britney Spears, we were excited about Lindsay Lohan, and I'm not burning the, all the, what I call the first name girls. I'm just simply saying these, they are so young. But the point being is that they are willing to teach to, and, and sing and talk to our kids about this stuff, partly because it's everywhere in the culture. So I was interviewing a guy, I have a radio broadcast, and I was interviewing a guy named Michael Landon Jr. His dad is Michael Landon, the big time actor. This guy's a producer. We were talking about young women um, and young men who are tied into pornography and you know, all this kind of stuff. And he goes, it's the death of innocence. He goes, this generation is the death of innocence. I don't care if your kids are three or if your kids are 13 or if your kids are 18, but it's the death of innocence. And it's not because everything is horrible, it's just that it's now so available to them. Okay. You know, I mentioned that the greatest distributor of internet pornography is this thing right here. Well, you know, this is a computer. So pornography got private, okay? And so again, with, with kids, it's just, it's just simply a different world, but it's everywhere in our culture. I mean, I can remember driving down the, my parents lived in Seal Beach, and our family for 30 years has lived in Dana Point. And so we'd go to see Grandma and Grandpa. Grandma and Grandpa both died now, and the kids are older. But we'd be driving in what we called the loser cruiser. It was this old green, ugly, ugly van. And uh, it would be the kind of thing where you go, the girls would go, I'm hungry. And i go, you know what, there's some french fries from like two weeks ago, you know, right under there, just grab them. And, and there was a, I, some of you may remember this because of where we live, but there was a billboard right, you know, you go through Dana Point, Laguna, you know, go on, you know, moving on to Newport, Cronomar, Newport, and then Huntington. And right at the, right at the border of, of Huntington Beach and Newport Beach, there was a sign and it said, drink Pepe Lopez tequila. Now, because I come from a family from alcoholism, and I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, um, I choose not to drink. And I choose not to drink for three reasons, Rebecca, Christy and Heidi, and that, that doesn't mean that I'm, I mean, Kathy and I went out for uh, Valentine's Day, she had a glass of wine, I didn't, you know, I just choose not to, but if I was going to drink, I would drink Pepe Lopez tequila, and the reason is, because, and it's the only brand of tequila I know, and I'm driving down the road with my kids, and there's this woman, and she is this beautiful blonde-haired woman, and she is, her body couldn't be that shapely, they had to Photoshop this unbelievable body, she is wearing what we at least call in our family, bun floss. I mean, you know, it's not even, I mean, it is the, there's nothing there. She has two more cheeks to powder. And then she is topless up top, but you don't see her front. But, you know, she's looking at me and she's staring at me and she's telling me to drink Pepe Lopez tequila. So there's a sign that says drink Pepe Lopez tequila. There's a bottle of tequila. And then there's this woman and she's, sex is selling it because that's everywhere in the culture. But how amazing that I don't even drink tequila, but I can remember the name of that brand of tequila because of the sign that, you know, so long ago was there at Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, okay? So sex is everywhere in our culture. It's, it's your kids, you couldn't put your kids in a bubble. Your kids are going to see sexual images. They're going to have kids at, at school start talking about sexual images earlier than ever before. So sex is everywhere in our culture. Another reason why it influences us is because it's mysterious. Okay? I mean, sex is mysterious. Okay? Even some of you, when I started even talking as freely as I am about sex and sexuality, it might have made you feel uncomfortable, but it is mysterious. Because we're not used to, even in public, you know, having these kind of conversations. But with kids, it's, it's also that way. Again, when I speak to kids, and sometimes I still do on this subject, it's absolutely amazing to me how, what good listeners are. People go, God, what a speaker. Go, it has nothing to do with me speaking. It has to do everything with the fact that I'm talking about this subject. Okay? So it's mysterious. Kids are curious. And 
if your kids act like they're not curious at whatever age, and you know, curiosity changes. You know, a five-year-old curiosity is very different than a 15-year-old curiosity, but it, you know, it's mysterious, okay? It truly is. And then also, it's fun. And parents have to understand this, but sex is fun. Parents have to understand that their kids need to hear that. Because if you tell them that, like these parents did on the little video, you know, that it's horrible, rotten, terrible, then they're going to possibly experiment. And if they've never heard that it's like one of the greatest things going around, and I'm not talking about sexual abuse or some of the tougher stuff, but if you don't say sex is fun to them and enjoyable, they may have it or their friends are gonna go, Man, somebody's lying because this was a great experience, see? So we just tell them the truth, okay? So I want you to do something on the count of three here at church. I don't think we've ever done this at church. We do some very weird things at church, I know. But, um, but I want you on the count of three to scream, sex is fun, okay? Even some of you who have children here, I want those children to hear that, okay? So on the count of three, one, two, three. May, that was maybe the worst I have ever heard in my life, okay? Like, loosen up. Is it okay for them to say that here? Are you, are you feeling okay? Okay. So on the count of three, let's try that one more time. Please, a little louder. One, two, three. Sex is fun. Very good. Okay. That feels kind of weird to say that. But you know what? We've got to be able to help our kids understand that because, again, their impression with some of what we would call the mixed messages is weird. What are the mixed messages? Parents say don't do it, and then they're silent. Okay. Um, the church, in their mind, I don't think it's going to happen at our church, but I think it ha they, kids perceive this, that the church says don't do it because it's dirt or rotten and horrible and save it for the one you love when you get married. And so one of the things that we see, you know, Doug and I do these, uh, you know, refreshing your marriage conferences. I'm doing a conference this weekend in Kansas City. A um, bunch of churches are coming together. I'm going to talk, uh, you know, on creating an intimate marriage. One of the things I will say is you've got to get the tape out of your head. When I talk about sex, very bluntly to them as married couples, but who are struggling in their sec with their sexuality, I need to say, get the tape out of your, that negative tape out of your head. God, for goodness sakes, God created sex, see? So one of the things we have to do is get our kids in a better frame by us getting in a better frame. But we need to be able to say sex is fun. But again, back to the thing, the church is typically to blame a lot of times for being so puritanical when in fact the church is actually, should be saying good things about sex and you know, encouraging people at marriage to have sex. And there's some reasons why we don't, which we'll talk about uh, next week when we talk about some of the boundaries and things. Okay? The other part of the mixed message is the secular world. So the secular world pretty much says, um, do it. <laughs> Just use a condom. As if the answer to everything is a condom. So what is the secular world doing? They're worried about the result. So in this case, what, what happens is, is your kids will hear these mixed messages, okay? That it's okay. I remember being a youth pastor at, uh, you know, at, you know, what's now Mariners. When I was there, it was called South Coast. And I'm driving in a van. We're coming down to San Diego to this conference. This girl's sitting in the front seat who was kind of new. And um, somehow the kids were talking about sex. Because in high school, they always talk about sex. And um, she said, well, my parents say that I should try it out. You know, that you've got to try, try it out to see if it, if it works and fits and all this stuff. So she's saying this to me. I don't even know that she knows I'm the youth pastor. And, um, and so I said, well, you know, some people believe that, but, you know, I kind of have a different view. And I said, I want you to, I was doing a workshop on it at this thing. So I said, I want you to, I want you to come, okay, and, and kind of hear this. Because what she had heard was just make sure that you protect yourself. But so what happens is, is we're not thinking about the emotional consequences of being intimate. We're talking about protection. 
So what the world has done, what the secular world has done, is they basically said the answer is a condom, or the answer is birth control, but for a lot of people, it's just the answer is a condom. So at the Chicago O'Hare Hyatt Regency, not too long ago, there was a group of 800 sexologists. I, that's a fascinating job. I would want to know what they do if you're, if you're a sexologist, and why would, what would their kids tell their parents to? If, you know, my, my dad's a sexologist. But they were asked this question. How many of you, people who, are, who study this, how many of you would protect yourself with a condom and have sex with an HIV-positive person? You know how many of the 800 raised their hand? Zero. Zero. Now, when you put it into the teen part, with teens, uh, the, the rate of condoms not working is 38%. It falls off, it breaks, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's, or they, don't, they have a condom, but they don't know, they don't put it on. So again, it's kind of complicated, but going back to this, is that they're getting these mixed messages. They're spending you know, a lot more time with media than they are talking to parents about sex, and so you know, they're singing about it in a different realm than what their parents are saying or not saying, see? So again, we have these incredible mixed, mixed messages, okay? So I think we're at a place where we need to say, okay, so when do you start, okay? Three to five. It might surprise some of you. How many of you have three to f have five or under in this room? I thought so. I think we have a really young crowd, with, you know, with young kids. So what do you say? I mean, at three to five, you're not going to give them the full Monty. What you're going to do is you're just going to give them some of the basics. And the reason you're going to give them the basics isn't because it's going to, you know, totally change their life then. It's because you want them to be able to have the conversation with you where it's trusting and they know that they can talk to you about stuff as they get older when more of the temptations kind of come along, okay? So what do you teach your kids at three to five? God created your body. God made boys and God made girls. And so really you're saying, well, that's not sexuality. Yes, it is. God made boys, boys and girls. That's our sexuality. So you get them in touch between three and five that they're a boy. Uh, I just saw this because I was working on it today that 10, uh, there's a 10 0.7% of the student population, 15 to 25, have what we call gender identity confusion. So they're not homosexual or they're not lesbian, but they have gender identity confusion. Well, part of that is because parents never talk to them about, you know, the joy of being a boy. And when you're going to grow up, you're going to be like daddy. And when you grow up, you're going to be like mommy. And you're talking about the body. And you're talking about how their bodies are going to change. Okay? So why do we, for many people, when you have little kids, half of you in here do, we say, these are your eyes, this is your nose, this is your chin, this is your elbow, and then we sort of miss major parts of our body, see? So you got like 11-year-olds calling their private parts their wing-a-ding-ding, -ding, okay? <laughs> what is up with that, okay? So what we're saying is at, a, at an early age, you teach them the, the right words for this thing, okay? <laughs> really? Is that what you called your body part? Yeah, I guess we shouldn't ask our pastor about that. Um, <laughs> But, but again, so we did this with our, with our daughter, Christy, who goes to this church. She'll be thrilled that I'm talking behind her back. But um, with Christy, we sort of missed that part. So she knew all the parts of her body, but she didn't know the correct name for her private parts because we never, we didn't even tell her, we called this her chest, okay? But, you know, you could teach her other words for this than, you know, your chest. And so by the time Rebecca came around, who also goes to this church, she'll really appreciate this, um, we had changed, so at, you know, two we're going, this is your nose. Can you say nose? This is your nose. You know, this is your elbow. This is your vagina. She couldn't say the word vagina, so she said the word vagina. 
So the family world is that, that's what our family calls that part of the body because of Rebecca calling it a vagina. She's like, we're at the Ralph's, we live in Dayton Point, we're at the Ralph's and Ocean Ranch one day, I'll never forget this, and Rebecca's in a stroller, I have no idea where Christy was, and um, Kathy and I are there and we're just getting a few things, and so, you know, you know how like, you know, older ladies stop and, you know, like, oh, your baby's so cute, hi, what's your name, and you know, all this kind of stuff, so this lady goes, you are so cute, and Becca goes, I know it, she goes, and my vagina itches, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I gotta go get some milk, you know, I'm out of there, you know, and Kathy's like, ah, but actually, that makes her more comfortable with her sexuality why shouldn't they be as excited about their vagina or their penis as they are? We've said both words now here in church. Yeah, you're just going. But, but, that's even worse. But, but why should they not be as excited about those parts of their body? I mean, what is this? Now, again, you, at a certain age, once they get past five, you've got to teach them, you know, when those kind of words are appropriate and when those words aren't appropriate. You know, they don't want to, you know, go up to somebody in kindergarten or first grade and go, hey, so... I got a penis. Do you have a vagina? I mean, that would be like, you know, sexual abuse and your kids would get arrested and you'd get arrested and, you know, there you go. But again, you want them feeling comfortable with their sexuality. So sexuality isn't at three to five telling kids how you make babies. Sexuality is getting them comfortable with their, with their body. You know, one of the ways you, you know, this is called God made your body. So again, God, and make it spiritual. Remember when I said, you know, you want to make this thing spiritual? God made boys and God made girls. God made all shapes and sizes. He created all colors and languages. God made you, see? Um, God made some boys and girls to have itty-bitty noses. Some he made with big ears. God made boys and little girls um, with different color eyes, green, blue, Hazel, brown, gray, what color are your eyes? And you know, what you're doing now is you're reading a storybook like you've read a hundred times, but you're reading it more in that kind of deal. But again, once you get to a certain, you know, deal, you're going to say, you know, there's all kinds of little stories, but, you know, it was God's idea for every little boy to have a penis and testicles. Now, again, I mean, you know, some of you men are still wondering totally what testicles uh, is all about. Um, so they don't know what testicles are for, but at three to five, you teach them something. They, they know there's something special about that body part, okay? And then what's on the next page? Well, every little girl is born with a vagina and a womb. So, you know what? I mean, I'm married with kids, and I'm totally not sure exactly everything about a womb yet. I thought it was what Roger Rabbit talked about, a womb. He went to his bedroom. But, but again, you're teaching them so they feel comfortable, they don't see this, you see it as dirty, and by not talking about it, you're teaching them that it's dirty or something we don't talk about as a family, but when you're, this is three to five, this is what you do, that, and that's about it, okay? It's not like you're gonna get into great details. Uh, I had a woman ask me this last week. She goes, my brother is, is gay, and he wants to you know, come with his, with his uh, husband, I guess, and, um, and stay at our house for a couple of days, but we're, you know, we're worried about our three-year-old, so we're going to sit down and have this big conversation about the three-year-old. And I said, I wouldn't do that, okay? Because the three-year-old doesn't get that yet. The, the, you know, we teach at age development, physiological development, but we also teach at, you know, kind of mental development, okay? So, so anyway, that's kind of what you do with three- to five-year-olds, six- to nine-year-olds. How many of you have six- to nine-year-olds? Okay, good. And I know Jeff does, so he's, he needs this. Okay, so what do you do? You answer their questions. 
I mean, how many of you with six to nine-year-olds would say that your kids ask five, 50 million questions? That's what they do. I mean, six to nine-year-olds ask a bunch of questions. So you answer their questions. But you answer it like a six to nine-year-old. You don't do what this one mom did. She had a seven-year-old boy. He comes home from school, and he says, Mommy, what is sex? Freaks the mother out. The dad was going to take the son on a, what he called a purity code weekend, like, you know, 11 or 12, they're going to go fishing or camping or something, and they're going to work through this whole thing. And this was a family that was like ready. They were going to do it, but not at seven. But they came to the little seminar like this, and so they hear that, well, I guess I'm supposed to answer the question. So this lady puts out a big plate of cookies and a big glass of milk, sets it on the kitchen table, sets the kid down, takes out a piece of paper and draws stick figures of boys and girls. This is a daddy and this is a mommy. By the way, it's totally gross. You know, she's drawing, this is what mommy's private parts looks like. This is what daddy's private part looks like. When daddy gets excited, this is his private, you know, she's going to give him way too much information. This kid listens to her for 45 minutes. His eyes are as big as saucers. He eats all of the cookies. He drinks all the milk. And finally, she says, well, honey, do you have any more questions? I mean, he'd only ask one, what is, what is sex? So he kind of swallows hard and he goes, Mom. And, you know, he's totally confused. Pulls a piece of paper out of his pocket and goes, soccer application. And then it says sex, M or F. He says, Mommy, I don't know what I'm supposed to write here. See? <laughs> if she would have said, honey, why do you ask what is sex? And he takes the soccer application out. You go, oh, you're a man. And so you're going to circle M for man, and you could even get a little shot. You know, now we've talked about you, you know, you're going to grow up to be like daddy, and, you know, your sister's going to grow up to be like mommy, and, you know, you kind of have a quick little talk, but instead, this guy, this seven-year-old is freaked out, the mother is freaked out, the dad's probably mad at the mother for doing this, and hopefully they didn't put the pictures that she drew with a little squiggly sperm and the eggs and stuff up on the refrigerator, okay? But again, we make that mistake. We sometimes, you know, pounce on it. When remember what the age of your kids are. However, I'm going to push you a little bit, okay? And um, we start, you know, this is the six to nine-year-old, you know, conversation. It's called How God Makes Babies. So you start with, do you know a family that's expecting a baby? Because six to nine-year-olds are really curious about that, okay? And that really troubles a lot of parents because we go, if my kid asks me, what am I going to tell them? Okay, because again, for a lot of us, because our parents didn't talk to us, we think this is dirty. We think this is ugly. We don't know how to communicate it. Okay, so and again, I happen to be one as a Christian who, who I think you start with scripture. This says, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and God's plan for families began when he created Adam and Eve. So again, you're just telling them a story. You know, you don't have to go into all these deep details that worry us about, you know, all this stuff so much. God created Eve so that Adam wouldn't be alone and so that they would start a family together. And ever since Adam and Eve, when a man and a woman love each other and want to be together always, they get married. So you're teaching, you're teaching things about marriage. I mean, what, what were we saying? 74% of kids believe in cohabitation. Six to nine-year-old, you're already teaching that when somebody is committed to each other, then they will get married. By the way, five, only 5% 5 of the, of the population says they don't want to get married. Isn't that incredible? 95% of the population still wants to get married at one time or another. And by the way, for millennial generation, you know what the number one thing they want right now is a healthy, happy family. Okay, pretty interesting. Because, you know, they're not living it in, in some ways, but that is the case. A husband and wife show their love to each other in many ways. So again, this is the six to nine-year-old. What we're doing is it's an onion peel. Three to five, you're doing one thing. Six to nine, you're doing another. Um, here we go. They live together. A husband and wife share their love together in many ways. They live together. They share their deepest thoughts with each other. They pray together. They encourage each other. They make um, decisions together. Now again, 
There's stuff in here on adoption and also on single parents. That's really important to understand that they can still understand that because it's not trying to be politically correct. It's trying to be what the family is. So you've got to explain all that stuff. But look at this. They get as close as two people can get. It's called making love or having sex. It's something God created just for a husband and wife to enjoy when they are alone and together. And they go, well, what, what does that mean? You give them the answer. You say, you know what? I'm going to talk more about that at another marker. When you get to be 10 or 11, then we're going to have a big conversation. I'll totally explain all this, but I'm going to show you. It goes a little close. Every, here it is. Every, you have to onion peel. You do the same stuff. Every little girl is born with a vagina and a womb. You know, every little boy has a penis. So you know, we'll keep that theme going. But let me show you one why I think this is so critical. Because at six to nine, we introduce another subject that's really key. But they're not going to ask you about this. You're going to have to just bring it up. So I'm going to read you two paragraphs. I'm not going to go through every book. If anyone else ever tries to touch your private parts or ask you to touch your private parts, tell that person to stop. That's why we have these kids going like this. Tell that person to stop, no matter who it is, even if it's a friend or someone in your family. They are not allowed to touch you in any way that makes you feel uncomfortable. If this happens, tell a grown-up you trust right away. You can tell mommy or you can tell daddy. See? Now, you're sitting next to them when you're reading this book, and so it's, this is a closeness. They feel good about this, but you're also introducing. Child sexual assaults happen at this age, oftentimes. And frankly, it's between 80% of them are between people that they know. So it could be an aunt, an uncle, a babysitter, a neighbor, uh, a stepbrother, stepsister, whatever it might be. So you, you want to make sure that kids have this kind of a conversation at this age. But here's how I introduce. This is, this is as far as I go at this age. Sharing your private parts is something to save for your husband and wife when you're grown and married. That's part of God's wonderful plan. So if they're six to nine, that's kind of what you say, sharing your private parts. Now, if they're nine and they're precocious, they're going to go, ew, Okay, and some may want to go farther. How does that work? Okay, and you say, hey, when you're a little bit older, I'm going to totally explain it, but it's great. God created sex, and it's special. We call it sex, making love, you know, whatever it might be. And so some of you would feel, so, um, all, almost all of you in here, maybe the four who raised their hands at the beginning, but, you know, we feel uncomfortable having that kind of a conversation, but about this age, kids start talking about this stuff, and I would rather have you have the conversation than them. And you say, well, is this too early? Does that mean that they're going to go out and do it? No. All studies show that if you have a good, healthy conversation with your kids, it will make them be less promiscuous, not more promiscuous. So it's not like if you have the big conversation with them that, you know, you're going to make them, uh, you know, go out into the parking lot when they get a little older and go have sex. No. In some ways, you're demystifying something for them because what did we say? It's mysterious. So you're demystifying it. And also, um, as Christ followers, you're bringing in you know, more godly type things. See, Then this will get you 10 years old, 11 years old. That's when you start bringing in what we call introducing the purity code. That's where you bring in sexual systems. Um, that's where you talk about m much of everything. When a kid is starting puberty. Now, what age do people start puberty today? Actually, the average age when puberty starts, you don't see it. You don't see hair. You don't see hips changing. You don't see the period yet or whatever you do with some. But it's now in the nine-and-a-half-year-old. So again, puberty starts on the inside before it starts on the outside. So is that, And you'll see that with your kids. If you have um, a lot of... How many of you had six- to nine-year-olds? Let me look. Okay, a lot. Same. How about, how about 10 to 14? You guys just made a lot of babies here. Everybody has, you know. So, so 10 to 14, a lot of you might say, well, I don't want to introduce, my child is so innocent. This isn't dirty. 
We gotta get it in our head that this is not dirty, but what we also have to understand is, is right at puberty is when a lot of things happen. What was the first age of, of seeing pornography? Age 11. So who's gonna introduce them to sex? It's going to be, by age 11-ish or so, it's going to be somebody else. It's gonna be a friend. The boys are gonna say, do you wanna see Britney Spears naked? The girls are, they're not as, as visual. They're much more kind of in a chatty thing, but they'll, they'll go, let's go online and see what this is you know, about. So again, we kind of don't have a choice today. We have to do it a tad bit earlier because you know, that's what we do. So, so we, we have a book back there called The Purity Code. And The Purity Code is probably the most often used book right now with the 10 to 14 year old world and even some older churches all over the country are doing Purity Code weekends. And it's kind of cool. What they do is, like I just did one a while ago in West Monroe, Louisiana, and I had no idea that that's where Duck Dynasty was. And I was so bummed because I could have met those people. And one of them supposedly went to this, this church. It's this big mega church. And so Friday night, I spoke to the kids and the parents, okay? Then Saturday, I spoke to the parents, and they brought in the youth evangelist guy who spoke to the kids. And, the, and uh, he divided the girls up with guys, and I mean, the girls up with girl, just girls, and then the guys and just guys, and then they, they had this thing. And then Saturday night, they had this big event. And, and, um, and then Sunday, I spoke, but at each of the services, um, they had parents kind of come together and do the purity code stuff with their kids. It was really cool. And even kids who made the decision, they also had some adopted parents come in and some of the youth workers came and did it. It was really, really cool. But the point that I'm saying is, is that that was so incredible because these kids at a certain age were able to talk about some important things. The weird thing, and again, we'll talk about, like I said, pornography next week. But the youth evangelist, I was talking to him in the green room Sunday morning, and I said, hey, how did it go during the day? And were you the one who talked to the girls and then to the guys? He goes, yeah, I talked to both. It was really neat. He said, but I'm freaked out. He, he says, I have a 13-year-old son. And um, I asked the guys, there were about 275 kids, that in, boys in the, in the room. And he said, how many of you have not seen pornography? This is middle school and, uh, and high school. How many of you have, have not seen pornography? Zero. Homeward has something that we call the culture up uh, brief, and, and we send it out every Friday. It's free, and we send out you know on, things on on culture. And something that we had a while back was there was a grant given to the University of Montreal for men who went to the University of Montreal. They were doing a grant on men who had not viewed pornography, but they had to give the money back because they couldn't find men at the University of Montreal enough men to actually do the study. Okay, so we're, I, I just need to let you know we're living in a different world. So the 10 to 14 is really key, and then the, the 14 and on up, you talk to your kids about anything. How many of you have kids 14 and over? Okay, so l less of you, but, but critical that we, we begin to have those conversations. Now, if you've never talked to your kid, if you, if you have a, a son who's, or a daughter, <laughs> who's 17 and you've never talked to them ever about sex, tonight, don't go down, sit down, shut up. I wanna tell you all about this stuff. You know, what do you think about oral sex? I mean, you're gonna freak them out, plus they think they know more than you do. Um, but really, it's better, so many of you have younger kids, so it's better to have these conversations now. Will it be awkward? Of course it's gonna be awkward, okay? But each one is different. I mean, I remember when our kids were 11, our girls were 11, uh, so Kathy took Christy the first time, and we went to a hotel, she, she went, just Christy and her, and they went to a hotel, and the hotel had free cookies, so Christy was all excited. It's a girl, you know, since we have girls, she got an outfit from Kathy, and they went shopping, and then they went to some place to fun to eat or whatever, and then Kathy went through a book. And um, Christy engaged. She talked to Kathy. I mean, it was so cool. Kathy calls me up, and she goes, this was an incredible 
time. She goes, Christy's going to be different. I mean, she had such great conversations. We were so open and honest. I, I hope I did it right. You know, as a mom, she's like, I hope I did this right. So two years later, she takes Rebecca. And uh, they go to the same hotel. They, you know, do the outfit. Same. I mean, everything is going to be the same because with kids, you have to do the exact same, if, especially if they're girls. And then Kathy opens up the book to have this conversation, and Becca goes, this is totally inappropriate, Mom. I do not want to hear this. This is gross. And she goes like this. So, she, so Kathy calls me up. She goes, what should I do? I go, just read her the book. The whole time she read the book, Rebecca was like this. Now Rebecca's all studying to be a therapist. She has like 12 clients at Vanguard. She goes to Azusa, but that's where she's doing her counseling. But at that point, she just did this the whole time. Okay. Heidi, um, at about 10 and a half, her birthday is October 31st, and so it was going to happen usually around the birthday. But it was before school. She, she, call, she says to her mom, she goes, hey, mom, are you going to take me on that deal where we do the birds and bees talk, and you, you buy me an outfit, so you're going to get me an outfit like you bought the girls? Yeah, and we'll go get something to eat. Yeah. She goes, well, is there any way we could go early? Because I really need an outfit for, you know, for school starting. And I already know all that stuff, and you can go through that with me if you want, but the girls already told me all about it anyway, and I actually even read the book that they said you're going to read to me. I've already read it, you know. So, so three different kids with three different things. Now, a little harder with guys at age 11. We had uh, Dr. Dobson, you know who James Dobson is? His son, Ryan, I married his son to his beautiful wife, Laura, and Ryan worked for us for a couple of years, and, and uh, his mom actually sent him this on an email that some lady had written to Dobson when he was with Focus on the Family and, and um, told the story of a, of a dad taking his son on a camping trip and they listened to tapes, like we have tapes now, but our tapes are like, I do an interview with Rebecca St. James and she talks about you know, sexual abstinence and then I talk to Doug Fields about something else and, you know, and then we just stop and then the parents have to you know, finish the conversation, it's cool. Well, that's what Dobson did, but it went on for hours. And or I don't know if he ever stopped, but I mean, he did the, he'd talk. And um, so this little boy um, says n nothing for five hours. I mean, girls would have talked or at least said, stop, turn that off, whatever. But this boy just looks outside for five hours. He listened to five hours worth of tape. And then the dad, and the dad doesn't know what to say either. I mean, because, you know, us guys are worse at this than women. And um, so finally the dad says, well, what did you think? The kid looks out the window and he goes, well. And, you know, I read this. So this is a mother sending this to, to Dobson. He said three things. Number one, I think it's absolutely gross. Number two, I can't believe that you and mom have ever done that. And number three, I think when I'm about 18, I'm going to really like it. You know? So the point being that boys will take a look at it differently than girls, but it still has to be at the same age level because boys are going through their puberty a little bit later than girls, but still through a lot of the same things. And their puberty... There, you know, there's an experimental phase to puberty. We forget about this. When we think of puberty, we only think about the biological, physiological. But there's also a, a there's, they begin to go through an experimental phase with their sexuality, with their thoughts, with their mind. Um, they're wondering what's going on in their body, see? So parents have to help them, you know, kind of navigate that, okay? And then, you know, and, and then we go on, okay? So here's the deal. I'm going to stop right here because I want, I want to have some time for Q&A. And where I'm going to start tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but next Tuesday, um, is I'm going to actually start with these questions on the right-hand side. So the questions are questions that teens ask. Because you have younger kids, it's even more important that you get some of these questions down. And you're going to see the questions are pretty blatant. I was speaking to 1,100 kids in Fulton, in E-Free Fulton, where Mike Erie is now the pastor, but this was before Mike Erie. And I was speaking on sex, and there were 1,100 kids, 1,100 questions, and we divided them into 15, because they really only had about 15. Parents 
want to hope that the kids are going to go, well, tell me about, you know, how do you make babies? And they want to get into the biology. No one asked me that question. But they did ask how far is too far. They do ask what's an erection. They do ask how do you, you know, get the pill without your parents knowing it. They do ask about abortion, homosexuality, sexual abuse. And so that's why as parents, we've got to be able to have some of the answers for that as well as begin to teach them what I'm going to call for next time, you know, a theology of healthy sexuality. But let's stop here. Um, you know, let's go with some, with kind of just some, either your input or some Q&A and let's just kind of talk. Now, by the way, I'll stay here as, I mean, you've got to go get your kids at a certain time if you have your kids and I'll stay for as long as you want. But um, let's just, I find that sometimes your questions are better than, than me just going on and on. Yeah, I'll repeat the questions too. We are recording, by the way. Okay. I have three boys. One turns 11 tomorrow. So one in every category. I have 11, 7, and 4. Yeah, you totally have the categories. <laughs> but um, I guess my question is, how important is it to have both parents involved? Like, because now I am coming to this. My husband supports it and he's helping with paperwork. Right. No, I think you got to do both. I think there were things that I talked to my girls about that as an opposite sex parent that were really important. For one thing, it was kind of some of the modesty type things. I could have those kind of conversations. There's things that your boys may feel comfortable talking to you about. They may not. My girls didn't feel comfortable talking to me about their period. Some boys don't feel comfortable talking to their moms about erections or a wet dream, and they might talk to their dad. What I find is it's better to, for parents to come at it differently. I think you actually have... I, I do better... I actually think we do better when, we're, when we do some things individually. Like if both parents are kind of, you know, like, you know, teaming up on them. I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. But with your boys, if your husband can take the lead on some stuff, and, and, and some husbands aren't good at this, okay? Women are better, I'll just admit. But, um, yeah, no, no doubt. No, sure. Yeah, your husband's going, I will watch the kids next Tuesday, too. You go to hear that bald-headed, nerdy guy talk about sex. But, um, but the point being is that, you know, I think he's got to buck it up and talk about certain things. Here's what I suggest you do, especially if you don't have your spouse with you here, but, you know, you're, you want to team up. Those of you who have your spouse here, then I think this is what you do. I think you talk through some of the age-level appropriate stuff, and you kind of know what that is innately. So at 11, it's going to be quite a bit of stuff. And so make a list. And as you make that list, then you say, instead of like having, sitting your poor 11-year-old son down, sitting at the table and having now your, your husband do this and he's feeling awkward, I think you look for ways, what I call teachable moments. You know, you're watching a television show and they talk about um, something. Somebody used a, a word out here that was a slang word for masturbation. Over here, you guys were singing. What was your song? <laughs> what was your song? Yeah. You said something. Yeah, oh, bang, bang. No, okay, it wasn't. But, um, but somebody used this, uh, since I've been in here, I heard somebody use a slang word that could be used for masturbation. You see it on TV, and all of a sudden you go, hey, this sounds so crazy, but do they talk about masturbation at, at school? You know, so again, you're having a conversation without going, ah, sit down. Today we're going to talk about the M word. And, you know, you're, it, it's just not as good. It's not as easy. Now, the other thing that I suggest is that um, with dads, even more than moms can kind of do this better. I'm sorry, dads, I'm throwing this all under the bus. But with dads, sometimes it's better to use, I started to say a tool, but that's not a good phrase with that. But, you know, something like the, the CD or, about, or reading a book together or whatever. What I find is that an 11-year-old boy 
who doesn't want to read will actually read a book on sexuality, but they won't read it like from cover to cover. They'll, they'll look at pay, you know, number on eight, it talks about erections, so then they're going to look at that or, or whatever has just been going through their body. But even having a dad do that, I just talked to a, to a dad who went through a book called Every Young Man's Battle because he caught his son um, on, on pornography. And, and, and he freaked out. And I said, I think you go back and you say, sorry for freaking out. That is somewhat normal. And, and don't make this a punishment, but say, you know what we're going to do? It's time for us to read a book together. So they actually read the book together. And it ended up at first that the kid never said a word. And by halfway through, the kid's going, what do you think about that, Dad? And all of a sudden, they're just having a conversation. So the information is being taken place without you having to sit down and go, let me teach you this. Now, when it comes to how you treat a woman or how a woman would like to be treated, I'd love for you to tell your boys that, see? But, you know, there's things about, you know, it's, I don't, I mean, see, you seem like a very comfortable with a lot of this stuff. Single parents are going to just, you know, you're going to have to do it anyway. But, um, you know, there's certain things about the male testicles and things that maybe your husband can talk about, okay? But, um, you know, be there by his side. And if for some reason he's not willing to do it, then do it. It doesn't, it, you know, I, I mean, it, in a perfect world, you know, we, we both talk. I, I actually talked, one of my daughters, I talked to her more about it than Kathy did. And then the other daughter, Kathy talked to her, you know, that daughter, she didn't want, you know, me to even talk to her about it, okay? Um, so, you know, every kid is different as well. But you and your husband get on the same page, decide what are some of the topics that you're going to have, and I found that Kathy and I, this is just a neat parenting thing. The last week, I'm going to talk about some good basic parenting stuff. And um, one of the things that we did was we would go to the beach six, every, about every six months, and we would make a list of their education, of their sex education, of their faith issues. And we just would make a list, and we'd say, and then we'd put Christy, Rebecca, and Heidi, and we'd just start walking through what we wanted to talk about with each of them developmentally. And then we'd always, it was almost like God would open it up. You know, there'd be something that was going to be awkward, and then all of a sudden, they would ask a question, we'd see something on a television show or whatever and, you know, pause on the television show and go, hey, I want to talk to you guys about this. And they're like, eyes roll. But again, never have had the easy one. With me talking opposite sex uh, or Kathy having the conversation, it's never been easy. So don't expect this to be easy. Yeah, well, sometimes what you do is, you, you know, you bring the 10-year-old into something like that. It's not, I mean, he probably has heard the word penis before in his life. And so, you know, you almost make it natural as if it was a part of, you know, his growing up. So I don't think you go, we son, we made the biggest mistake. We've never called your private part the correct name. Um, I just think you just make it, you know, more natural. And you just start, you know, kind of bringing that stuff up. I do think that for some kids, um, age level-wise, like a 10-year-old, I would probably suggest that um, you give some of the six to nine type of material just so he, he is on base and he's heard it from you, not from his friends. Because at 10, he's probably heard some things by his friends and it could be right, it could be not. I mean, again, when I was you know, 10 or 11 was when I heard the weird stuff about sex and what you do and it was just weird. So I, but I believed it because my parents never talked to me about it. So it's, it's, you know, you haven't had that conversation, so start with your four-year-old. But again, he's going to, your 10-year-old's going to be interested in some of the stuff you say with your four-year-old, too. But you can actually, it's a perfect thing, because you may, say you're, you're reading to the four-year-old, you know, something about it. Then you move to, um, 
you know, say to him, you know what, we should have a conversation about this, but you're older, so we can talk about some other stuff too. Make, make it feel special. I like to say make it feel like with markers. Great question, by the way. What else you got? This is, I never dreamed that these guys would be so quiet. I mean, usually people like, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Perfect. I, no, I totally disagree with your friends. I think it's appropriate. You know, what she's saying is, for those to make sure you hear it, that she's saying, you know, she had the talk with her 12-year-old, and it came. her husband was gone for the night, and it worked. Fantastic. You know, use those as, like, God moments, you know. And um, you can have, any parent can have the talk as well. Now, again, that may motivate your 12-year-old to have a conversation sometime with your, with your husband, and your husband's like, wait, I wasn't in on this, and now he's asking me a question. Fantastic. Exactly. No, exactly. And by having a conversation with your 12-year-old, male or female, it, it means there's a great, much greater chance that at 17, he's going to be willing to talk with you about it, because if you never had the, a conversation, you know, at 17, the last thing he wants to do is talk to his mother about whatever's going on in his head or in his friend's heads or things like that. So really good. You get, you get the uh, A-plus for having that. You, you, you seize the moment. There you go. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Great question. What do you do if your kids have already been either exposed or you haven't had the conversation, but you know, you know, there's some things going down the road? This could be young kids who've been exposed, or it could be actually, you know, middle school or high school kids who have actually, you know, touched a private part or played doctor or, you know, much sexting. I mean, when you start looking at sexting, 27% of kids um, have had a sexting experience. We call it at Homeward in our culture brief, the new first base. And if the middle school kids that Hillary's working with who are sexting and there are, they don't really get that. They don't get what they're doing. They honestly don't understand, okay? But, so if any of that is happening, so I'm kind of doing the whole thing, I think that's that you do not make, make it a one-topic relationship now with your child because you're upset with them or, or whatever it might be. But I think you naturally help them understand that process. So let's say a child, a little child, has seen something that is really inappropriate. Then I think instead of going, oh, that's terrible and us panicking, panic, Put your face into the pillow, scream, shout, but not with your kid there. When your kid is there, you just go, you know what? I'm sorry that you had to see that. Let me, and then help them kind of learn from that experience. So it's not a, it wasn't a horrible thing. Make it almost more natural as part of it. If a kid has been exposed to, uh, you know, pornography at a very young age, then it's important, and we'll talk more about pornography next week, but it's important for them to discern what they have seen because they may not totally understand it, and it actually may scare them like crazy. You know, if you think about, like, a, a, an adult looking at something pornographic, they can view that with some shame and whatever, but they can view it from a totally different point. Some kids would be very scared if they saw that, okay? And so, again, you've got to help them now understand, unravel that, 
and I don't think you then give them the whole sex talk, you know, you let them begin to discern how that is different. So a lot of kids um, will, will come to you if they know that you're willing to have a conversation with them when they've seen something like that, and then you kind of help unravel that. Okay? Yeah. And we're going to quit in two. Got this one and this one, then we're... Yeah, right. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. How do you teach him modesty? What she's saying, if you didn't hear it, is she has a four and a half year old and he's talking about his penis all the time. So he, he's just the opposite. He's, he's thrilled to do it. He's, he, uh, that's actually most boys. They're just thinking about it. They're not talking about it for real. Uh, anyway, I think that's a great question, by the way. Um, what he's going to have to learn pretty quick, because he's, is he going to preschool right now or is he going to, he's in preschool. So when he goes to kindergarten, I think it's important that he learns that there's private conversations in the home and there's public conversations. And in the public conversations, not that this is a dirty thing, but in the public conversations, you know, we don't have those kind of, we don't have those kind of conversations. Then if he, you know, at a four and a half year old, he's silly. You, you know, it's the prime time of laughter, you know, that's.